You're listening to Don't IEP Alone with special education advocate Lisa Leitner. For more information about Lisa, the IEP toolkit, and more ways we can help you in your process, go to adayinourshoes.com. Now back to the show with your host, Lisa. Hello, and welcome back to Don't IEP Alone. After a few weeks off for the holiday, I am happy, I guess, to be back working and recording new episodes with lots of fascinating guests, interesting people coming are lined up for this winter. So I'm anxious for you to stay tuned and listen to what we have coming. With me today is Maria Slavin. She is actually from suburban Philly as well. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if it's just a coincidence that I get a lot of Philly professionals who respond to my queries that I put out there, Yeah, which is always fun. But she's an occupational therapist. I don't know if I already said that. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and introduce yourself? Sure. And thank you for having me. So I'm an OT and I have a private practice called InSync and Social. Within the OT scope, I've worked in various pediatric settings for my entire career, hospital, early intervention in the homes, three to five, preschool age, school age, and then in my private practice, you know, teens and young adults. So I've, you know, worked with kids across all ages and various diagnoses and and, and non-labeled kids who struggle with, you know, either traditional fine motor sensory processing OT type skills, or in the latter part of my career, well, now it's probably half of my career. Since 2008, 10, I started focusing on social emotional learning. And I was the director of a program called Collage, which I don't know, Lisa, if you had ever heard of that. I was curious because you are from the area. So an OT named Nancy Kaufman, who was a pioneer, started Collage, an OT-based social skills program in her basement. And it grew over time across three counties and she got it covered by MA, which was the only mental health OT program covered by insurance, you know, in Pennsylvania. So it was a huge accomplishment. So I ran that and then Melmark took it over when she retired, which is when I became the director and we ran it for a few years. And then Melmark decided to go with a different direction. And then that's when I started in sync and social my own ot private practice which continued the ot based social skills but also incorporated traditional occupational therapy individual sessions and school school contracts with schools as well so that was back in 2014 and to date more recently i got a life coach and executive coach certification mm. and decided that I, within the realm of coaching and combining that with my OT background, would create an online coaching program for parents, for mothers to start. And I always feel bad, like I'm leaving out the dads, but I do plan on incorporating them at some point for sure. But I created a program called Exceptional Moms Coaching Program. And that's what I'm doing currently in in combination with in sync and socials regular services. So it's been exciting and it's going really well. That is. And yes, I take a lot of heat myself for focusing a lot on moms, but I'm like, I am one. Like that's who I relate to. And and it's a different, it's a different experience. It's different parenting. The IEP meeting is different. Everything, you know, all the medical appointments I go to, there's a difference when my husband attends with us. It's just very different. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, and yeah. I don't feel, I don't feel qualified to speak to that, you know, cause I'm, I'm not male, but anyway. Right. right. Um, you would never want to leave the dads out, but you also hear, you know, I'll, I'll be candid. I hear a lot of moms say, and you probably do this too, that either kind of my, my husband has a hard time with the fact I have, we have a child who's different or they butt heads because my husband doesn't realize he's actually rigid, a bit rigid, like <laughs> my child. Um, I just think it's harder for men, but that's why we need, we do need to bring them into the discussion because dads do care. And so, yeah. you know, that could be a different episode, but, but right. yes, but focusing on the moms because I'm one myself, I have two kids with ADHD and that's, yeah, that was part of my inspiration. Okay. So you said that you started to really focus on SEL or social emotional learning about 15 years ago, certainly been around for quite some time this whole concept of social emotional learning in the past one to three years, I want to say it's been taking, I feel at least maybe, maybe it's that social media influence. I feel like it's been taking a lot more criticism and various, mm -hmm. uh, various arenas. Um, do you, first of all, explain to us what social emotional learning is or SEL. Cause I think a lot of folks don't even really know what it is. They just know that there's like this concept out there. It's SEL, it's permissive parenting, it's being soft. And then there's a whole other realm of people who are, there are parent groups who are running for school boards on the platform of, I'm going to ban SEL from the schools. Like, and it, it just, and like, when you have that much negative energy surrounding something, I think people just kind of be like, you know what, that's just not for me. And like, don't even really dig in and say, well, what is SEL? So let's start there. What is SEL? So, yeah. And I feel like a lot of people don't even know the ac acronym. Perhaps if your child isn't in special education or doesn't have an IEP or is just, you know, neurotypical and there's really no, although all, to me, all neurotypical people also, everybody's got emotions, right? So I really look at it from a human perspective at this point in my career. Everybody can benefit from social emotional learning. And I think the reason that even adults struggle with this not only the idea of it being in school, but in their own lives is because it's never really been a traditional educational area brought to the forefront because there's such heavy emphasis on academics. And if you look at research about what makes people most successful, it is not their, their human, you know, their IQ. It is more emotional intelligence. And so emotional intelligence is a bit of a different term, but in terms of children and schools and, you know, the clinical world, the educational world, social emotional learning is both being aware of your own emotions, right? What you're feeling and what you're feeling in your body is different. That we'll get to that. But the emotion you're feeling, and there's a lot more than happy, sad, you know, all of those things, which we teach the little kids. Their feelings and emotions are very complex. And when you really dig into that, like being embarrassed versus being humiliated, right? Humiliation cuts you deeply, whether you're a child or an adult. So being aware of your emotions, being able to label them, being able to read or pick up on emotions in other people and understand what they might be feeling so that you can make a guess or adjust your own behavior based on what you're sensing is going on with that person. Like when they say um, read the room. Which kind of ties in the social part, right? Then right. it becomes interaction. 
And our nervous systems really do talk to each other and pick up on what's going on. That's not just I'm looking at you and I you're sad, your face looks sad. People, we feel there's an exchange of energy between the neurons and all our ner nervous systems. So there's science behind that. So it's very important. And I, I would guess that schools have it really tough these days, as you well know, uh, in the special education realm and without, there's a lot to cover. There's a lot of pressure on them. I get that. But for any educator that, or, or principal or administrator, superintendent, that is really looking at the whole child, how you, how you can leave that piece out is just, it's, I really think it does a disservice to the kids because even if you're getting great grades in math and science, or, you know, you're killing it at school and all the things, if you are living your life, not being able to recognize your own emotions, label them, express them, and also relate to other people, that's going to impact you in every area of your life and it will impact your relationships. So it's just really such a necessary skill. It is. It is. Like I said, the, it's that, hey, read the room. You know, it's... Well, yeah. <laughs> and again, working in social emotional learning, even if I'm working with really bright academic kid who is, you know, getting great grades in advanced science and math and they're struggling socially, they're going to struggle in a job interview. They're going to struggle at work. So you really can't say that. It's like the big focus on academics. And yes, of course, those are important. But if that's all the focus is on when these kids, and I'm talking about all kids, but especially neurodivergent kids, but even neurotypical, they all, all human children feel so much. They take in so much. And if nobody's talking to them about what's going on in their emotions and they're holding it all in, it really is not very good for them. And yeah. so it will catch up sooner or later. So yeah, it does. And I've, really you know, I've been doing this long enough now that, you know, I've spoken with hundreds, if not thousands of parents over the past 15 years. And I've spoken with adults who can't keep a job for more than two years, who mm -hmm. struggle with relationships, who like all these things. And I'm like, hmm, I guess the apple didn't fall so far from the tree. And that's just yeah. it. But they didn't, you know, whether it was their social skills or executive functioning or whatever, but it was those soft skills that weren't mm -hmm. focused on and weren't taught. Somehow they hobbled it or cobbled it together to get through school and sometimes mm -hmm. even college. But then it just all right. falls apart. But they don't see that. And a lot of I've I've also found that when when parents have that experience, they think, well, that's just how life is. Mm -hmm. And so when their kid is having those same struggles, they're like, yeah, well, you know, that, that's how life is. <laughs> it's like, oh, wait, it doesn't have to be like that. Right. Um, right. And they are teachable skills, which a lot of people don't think of it that way. I mean, our, our wiring and our biology is what it is. Right. And there's no we know now that it's not nature versus nurture. It's both. And they're both equally important in the way we evolve in our lives and as humans. And so if nobody is helping kids become aware of these things, that what you're feeling matters, that if you say what you're feeling versus hold it in, you will, you are less likely to explode and either get in trouble in the classroom or get in, you know, get in trouble at home because you raised your voice to your parents or 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 end up doing, you know, mischievous things as our like ADHD kids get older. And if they're not helped with this, especially you see them getting into misconduct. So what happens is that the emotions get bottled up and they're going to come out one way or the other. Mm -hmm. So why don't we teach kids this early on and get them talking about it and feeling like it's OK 
to have feelings, especially boys, and to express them, yeah. you know? Yeah. And also, I think for the girls, to, we have to do away with that stigma of, oh, girls are just so moody. They're so emotional. They're so dramatic, right? Yeah. That's just it. Girls are so dramatic. And it's like, yes. no, we yes. just have girls emotions. Are dramatic and boys are weak if they right. show any emotion, right? right? And these are society's stigmas. And yeah, we really need to to get rid of those. So for the parent who's listening to this, or even maybe the teacher, you, you know, these you said these are teachable skills. What are a few takeaways or what are some examples that you would say, like, how do you teach someone this? And and I realized that a program like yours, which which we'll talk about in a minute, like a program like yours obviously teaches them. But for some parent who maybe just wants to kind of touch on a few things at home, what could they do? So I would say if you're not already, you know, if you don't have your child in any type of therapeutic setting or that you can't afford it or, you know, it's not you don't have the resources First, you know, do some research. There's plenty of information online, and I'm sure I, we can, you and I can work together to put some resources in your show notes when this episode comes out. But just do some reading and learn about tips that you could do in the house or the ways you could coach your child in the community. It's, I look at it as a twofold thing. You know, part of it is as a parent, you're constantly modeling right? So what you do yourself is just as important, if not more so than any, any way you could coach your child. So, you know, if you're telling Johnny, talk nice to him, but you are walking around the house and this is no, I always say no blame, no blame, no shame zone. Cause we all lose our cool, but you know, it's really, really important for parents to know that kids are soaking up everything we do and say in our house, in our homes, the way we speak to them, the way we speak to other people. So modeling the skills you would like to see your child have in terms of interaction is huge. I would say that is the number one thing. So do that and do the research. And then don't be afraid to go that extra mile. Or I shouldn't say some people are afraid. I think some people just are so overwhelmed because there's so many things on the plate especially if you've got speech and OT and all the other things and school, that the social piece falls to the wayside some, um, often. Or the parent just feels like, well, well, he, my kid says he doesn't want to join any clubs. He doesn't want to do soccer. He doesn't want to, he doesn't care if he has friends. He's fine on the video games. And then parents get stuck too, right? Because if, then if your kid is, is a bit rigid and is going to give you a hard time and you're already stressed out, it's easy to just for years to go by, be like, shoot, I, you know, I, I meant to get him involved in something. So I would say, take that step, start doing something, anything, take action. You know, you can't overwhelm the heck out of them and take them from the video games only into like a really, I don't know, difficult situation, but you do want to push a little bit. It's like that just right challenge. Push, you have to push them out of their comfort zone just a little. And yes, they're going to push back. But if, if you don't, it's nothing's going to change, you know? So I would say take that step. And if it's a kid that is on the cusp between sort of neurodivergent kids but can hang with a regular sports team and they're interested in sports, give them that little push. If it's a kid who loves robot robotics, don't force them to do a sport. Right. Go with their interests. Help them find their people. You know, I always say I'd rather see a kid have one friend that's a meaningful connection, then fit in at a birthday party. You know, and I think parents, and I don't blame them, and myself included, because I have two ADHD kids, and, and my son 
and daughter have you know have struggled um when you if you're at a birthday party and your kid is the only one crying and having difficulty following that social routine you right. feel upset for them and you feel hurt but we still have to we can't get stuck there we have to we have to push a little bit but help them we don't need to hold on to trying to fit into normalcy it's more about that kid needs to have some kind of meaningful connection so one oh. is better than a group yeah so speaking of meaningful if we do have parents who you know they had this on their iep and and you know by the way i'll put it on my on in the show notes but it's on my site you know anything that you want to add to an iep you make your request in writing discuss it as a team and then follow up with the pwn that's the short version okay. because I could do numerous episodes just on how to get something added to an IEP. Yeah. But for the parent who does want a CL or social skills or some type of this on their IEP, or it's already on the IEP, how do you know if it's meaningful? How can a parent tell, you know, cause we see a lot of this like lunch bunch, best buddies yeah. type of stuff out there. And it's like, yay, we're doing best buddies. And I'm like, eh. yeah. Like yeah. I want somebody, like you said, I want a meaningful connection. I don't want somebody who wants a better looking college resume. You know what I mean? And that's, that's what best buddies really is. I know they're well intended, but. Yes. yes. <laughs> and it's certainly better than having nothing. Right. right. But yes, you, you have social skills goals on IEPs and counselors or speech therapists doing these groups that can be, you know, somewhat mechanical. I think that's unavoidable, right? There's no way to provide, I mean, you, you want to try to create meaning if you're a good therapist or a counselor and you try, but sometimes it's not always the best match, right? In school, in private practice, it's easier to kind of pair different kids up and whatnot. But for parents, I would say it's a combination approach. You know, ask your child as many questions as possible. And of course you may get, they may clam up, they may not give you accurate information, but if you keep asking and you pry a little bit, hopefully you can pick up at least on if they're comfortable, if they're liking somebody, if they're clicking at all. So just make sure to ask about, hey, what's going on in your group at school? Like, are you, who do you like? What are you talking about? Do you have anything in common with anybody in the group? Those kind of things. And then check in with the teacher, right? So it's, again, as you know, like as parents, it's, it's extra steps, but it's so important because the teacher will be happy to answer you most times, but they're not going to come to you. So you have to go to them. You have to ask specifically about, hey, how's he doing at recess? How's he doing at lunchtime? What's it like in between classroom activities when there's free time or just chitter chatter? Is, is he talking to anybody? Do kids come up to him? You know, can he join in interactions? Can he initiate interactions? Those kind of questions. So I think if you put that piece together and you're in touch with the speech therapist or counselor who's doing the group you're getting input from you know your child and the teacher and the therapists hopefully that'll give you a decent idea of if it's working or if there's any meaning meaningfulness going on and if there's not i'd say the skills that are taught it's still good but that's then you even more so want to be looking for something that provides meaning outside of school, whatever it is. Could be playing with a neighbor, you know? It doesn't have to be, but it, it gets really hard when there's not kids in the neighborhood and the kid isn't really a social kid and isn't interested in much, but that's when you have to do that little little bit of a pushing. Yeah. Yeah. 
so tell us about your coaching program that you touched on earlier for parents, for parents who do want to pursue some of this stuff further. What do you offer and what is your coaching pr- program? What do you do? And, and all this information will be in the show notes, by the way, if you're listening, we'll put links and everything. Yes. So my, my private practice is called in sync and social, and it's had traditional occupational therapy and OT based social skills groups since 2014. And more recently, I started a parent coaching program called exceptional moms, which focuses on the mom and co-regulation between mother and child, parent and child really is the foundation of it, which basically boils down to if your child is dysregulated, if you have a neurodivergent child or a highly sensitive child, or it's not, we're not label specific, but if you have a kid who has big feelings and they're getting upset a lot around the house, and like we were just talking about the modeling and the, if you are dysregulated, which is really hard not to be if your kid is loud and screaming and gets upset every three minutes, right? It's really hard. But the way we show up matters so, so much because co-regulation is us not faking it, like trying not to yell, but on the inside like this, to to always be working on ourselves so that we can show up the best we can. And it's an ongoing process and journey, just like health, nutrition, and everything else, self-regulation. But the more we work on it and you start to see those results, even if they're a little bit at a time, it really does benefit your child. So, so becoming aware of this, learning about their own nervous systems. Again, they have kids getting sensory processing and OT and all this, and the parents' nervous systems are just as important. So learning all that and then bringing that to co-regulate so that you connect, that's the other part of co-regulation, connecting with them in those moments of when they're really upset, which again is hard, but showing empathy and again, not permissive parenting, not saying, oh, you can do whatever you want, but to essentially get out of our, we all have that sort of knee-jerk reaction, like you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And, you know, and the the non-compliance, but usually, not usually, always, they're not doing it to be, I shouldn't say always, most of the time, unless that's really, you know, a little bit of attention seeking, even that there's something going on in the nervous system. So to show some compassion, if you go with compliance only, it's really not effective. So by learning to regulate your own nervous system, how to show up calm and stay calm when your child is escalated. Because we all know too, that's really hard, but what's the alternative? When we show up yelling too, does it ever get better? No, it only escalates and then everybody's upset and then we feel guilty, right? So yes, it's hard. It takes a lot of work, but your child will see the way you're reacting in this stressful moment They will pick up on the calm going on inside of your nervous system. It will calm them. There's research in a soothing voice really does. It's not just, you know, it's, there's science behind this. So all of those things and then practicing those. So we talk about that a lot. And then it's also about honoring the mother as an individual, which I think goes into that self-regulation. If your whole identity is only parenting and special needs parenting and all of that, we, you know, what are you doing anything creative? When's the last time you saw your friends? Are you being social? The mother is a human being too, and she needs connection. So that is essentially the crux of the part that falls on mom. And it is moms only in the group, but then we do have a segment each week of, okay, what's going on with your kiddo? And then I will coach each parent on 
they can bring up anything that's OT related or social, emotional, whether it's something going on at school, in the community or at home, you know, meltdowns around certain routines. So it's really a combination of coaching mom on herself and then on her child and also the interactions. And, and how often do you meet? Is it virtual? It's virtual. It's all online. It's a membership. So it's ongoing. If you want to stay in it, if you try it and you don't, you can just, you can get out at any time, but we, we, we meet weekly. There's a, a afternoon session on Tuesdays and there's an evening session on Thursdays. So I tried to accommodate people who might be home versus at work. So I'm there each week with both groups and you can choose whichever one works for you. And you can, you don't have to sign on to one consistently. You can pick and choose if it works for your schedule to switch it up. And we meet for about an hour to an hour and 15 minutes a week. And I include a, a learning component, you know, some content, some neuroscience or psychology or research, and then get into what's going on with, you know, with the moms and with the kids. So. Okay. Well, thank you for being here today. We're going to include it in the show notes, but quickly tell us where we can find you. My website, insyncandsocial.com, I-N hyphen S-Y-N-C-A-N-D in the word social. And everything, there's a contact form on there and all the services are listed. Okay. And you're on Facebook? Facebook and Instagram as well. Mm -hmm. And LinkedIn. And LinkedIn. Okay, great. And like I said, the the information for those of you listening will be included in the show notes. So thank you so much for being here. Oh, thanks for having me, Lisa. Thank you for listening to Don't IEP Alone with special education advocate, Lisa Leitner. We're so glad you've joined us and would love to connect with you outside of the show. For more information about Lisa, the IEP toolkit, and more ways we can help you in your process, go to adayinourshoes.com. From self-care tips to common IEP mistakes, there's even more to explore. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast and subscribe to never miss an episode. Until next time, don't IEP alone and you don't have to.